Welcome to the Continent of Resistance, a podcast with interviews and discussions on labor movements across Asia. Welcome to our new episode. I'm joined by my co-host Kyung. So it's been our fifth episode already, and it's been quite a interesting experience, Kyung. I wondering what's been your highlight so far, and some of the the interesting things that you learned so far. Hi, Kevin. Um, yeah, thanks for asking. I mean, the the past episode, episode four, logistic workers organizing, has been one of the one of the best episodes for me. I really think that you know, if our listeners haven't really listened to that one, I want to encourage everyone to to go back and listen to that in particular. And in general, I don't know. I mean, this experience been. Very interesting. I mean, it being a co-host or also co-producer of this has led me to meet a lot of people, a lot of interesting mm. and great people. Right, right. Yeah. So I think we we have been, you know, now we're in a place where we're thinking about the future of our, our right. podcast, right? right? Like what what would be our future next year or next season? And also we would love to hear more from our listeners about the mm. feedback. The feedback would be valuable, would be appreciated, you know. And if our listeners, if if we have any, <laughs> anyone who loves our podcast or like what we're doing, I I I would just encourage everyone to to share our podcast with with your network or you know review, give us a review on. Are the apps that you receive your podcast? Yeah, that would be great. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's you know we have only done five episodes, but I I feel like we have covered right a lot of ground from the first episode on Japan and the media workers organizing there against sexual harassment to Myanmar to the Philippines and last episode as you were saying Kian on logistic workers in Korea. Like I feel there's just so much that we have learned and and uncovered in, in this episode. And yeah, we, we would like to have your feedback because we, you know, we, we certainly have really liked what we, we are doing, but we also want to hear from you guys what you like about the episode and also of course right. to share it with your friends, colleagues. I, I think this is gonna be what, really helpful. What- yeah, or what do they want to to learn yeah. about, right? Yeah, or, or, or yeah, or ideas or, and focuses that you want us to look at. Uh, you know, we're quite happy to hear what you think. Hmm. So for for this episode, again, sort of continuing a theme that is common to some of our previous episode, which is this idea of organizing the unorganized, right? So because there are so many workers in Asia who are in the informal sectors, right, or who don't have the sort of standard employment relationships. And one of such groups is freelancers in the media and the creative industry. I think it's it's a it's not a topic that gets a lot of attention necessarily, but it's it's quite interesting because there are a lot of media media and creative industry workers organizing around Asia and, and globally as well, right, Kim? Right. And um 
Well, I know when we, when we use the term informal workers or informal economy, it it has a lot of meaning, and you know, and it kind of shows or indicate that we're we're referencing to some forms of or traditional forms of employment. But mm. you know, as we have covered from the first episode, I think we we have learned, or especially myself, realized that this this is where where we are headed to, right? This is as we one. Of our first guest actually mentioned that this is the future of the labor movement. So mm-hmm. I think we have learned a lot from talking to or listening to all all our guests and you know observing things going on, uh, what's going on on the ground. And right. I feel like th- there there's not enough attention and fo- or focus on the organizing uh, initiatives of this group. So I think that's yeah. that's a reason why we are. You know, in this episode, we want to highlight this issue or this group in particular. Right, right. And so, for for this episode, we're joined by Nura Aini. So, Nura is the chairperson of Syndicacy, which is a national union of media and creative industry workers in Indonesia. So, you know, there are other media sector unions in Indonesia, but Syndicacy is quite unique in terms of organizing beyond. Uh, the individual workplaces and across the, 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 across the whole sector. So it's quite interesting union. And so we are quite lucky to have her on the podcast. So what, what are some of the highlights that Kian Yu saw in, in the conversation? Mm. Well, I was surprised to know that Sindikasi is actually probably one of a few unions of its kind. Not only in in Indonesia, but probably in Southeast Asia or in Asia, right? Sindikasi is is a union, but is in a union in this unique way. It's a non workplace union that serves as umbrella for freelancers mm. and in, independent workers in media right. and creative sectors, right? So right. I really appreciate the. Um, the emphasis on cross cross class solidarity building, and you know the 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 fact that they put a lot of effort in building awareness of freelancers and and independent workers to to be part of the working class, to be part of, of you know a movement of working people, and I think one of the one of the highlights is how they use non traditional tactics, non traditional kind of tools to organize young creative workers. Right, right. Yeah, it's quite interesting to learn to hear about their this kind of non-traditional method and tactics because the 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 young workers they are organizing as freelancers are a lot of them are not familiar with with the union or maybe have a even are resistant to join union. So finding new ways to approach them and to to organize them is is going to be really crucial. So here's our conversation with Nura. So welcome to our podcast. Today we have a guest, Nura, who is a union organizer with a Media Sector Creative Industry Workers Union, Sinikasi. Sinira, how are you doing? Hi, I'm good. Hi, Kevin and Korea. Um, 
Hi, Kyung. So, Nira, where are you based right now? Uh, I am in Jakarta, Indonesia. Indonesia, great. Thanks for joining us. So, you know, they're very interesting in your story because you are a former journalist. Um, mm-hmm. but you also start organizing with ad- other media and creative industry mm-hmm. workers. Can you tell the story of how you start organizing with other uh, media workers and what are sort of the issues that motivated you into into this union organizing work? Okay, thank you, Kevin and Korean. Uh Hi, everyone. Um, Nura. Uh, well, my name is Nuraini, but then you can call me Nura. I'm a media worker for independent media in Jakarta right now. And before becoming a project officer in independent media, I was a journalist working for over 12 years in mainstream media in Jakarta. And my story is back to 2016 to 2017. As a journalist, I faced many issues regarding working condition, including low wage, long working hours, and limited protection considering uh, journalism is a dangerous job, right? So then I met a journalist college that became syndicacy founders in the following years. I found that those issues were not only mine, and I share the same precarious working condition with other fellow journalists. And then we, and then we met creative workers, such as creative designer, voice over talent, and advertising agency workers that they sometimes work for media company also. And most of them are freelancer and also have precarious working condition that are very specific that they only experience. We then realized that my issues were collective issues. Those issues must be handled with others because the problem is the employment ecosystem. It's not only my problem, but this employment ecosystem is the research of the problem. Yeah, before we, we we talked about, I think, the big picture or structural problems, I, I would like to go back a little bit to to your story. When you said that you started as a journalist, right? Mm-hmm. So so was it a full-time job with, with contracts? And did you have a union at the time in your workplace? Yeah, well, actually, I'm a permanent worker in my mm-hmm. media outlet. But this standard is not the same with other uh, colleagues uh, from the media industry because especially for the creative workers because some of the creative workers work for media outlet right like graphic designer they work for media outlet also Uh, they just have a freelancer status and but we found that there is a relation or of the specific issue that we experienced together about the precariousness. And we have no uh, union in our workplace. So we've kind of like looking for the union for us to share our condition and to speak more about our condition. And this was compounded by the fact that there is no labor union for creative worker in Indonesia back then. 
Therefore, we established Sindikasi as a union for media and creative worker in Indonesia. Right, right. Yeah, t- tell us more about Sindikasi. I, you know, it, it's quite unique in in many ways, including the fact that it doesn't organize just one workplace, but work across workplaces and across the whole sector. Can you talk about a uh, little bit, little bit about the history of Sindikasi, how it came together, and what are some of the, I guess, unique features of the union? Mm-hmm. Well, Sindikasi stands for Union for Media and Creative Workers for Democracy. It established in 2017, in August 2017. And as a union, we actively organize media and creative workers across various workplaces and professions without relying on specific uh, workplace affiliation. Uh, we also organize student and unemployment in the sectors. You said that uh, we have a uniqueness as a non-workplace-based union. So we can organize not only formal workers that affiliate to specific workplace, right? But also for informal workers, such as freelancers and other independent workers, that they have no fixed uh, workplace. Most of our, our members are freelancers. There can be around 70% of our members are freelancers and young workers between 20 to 35 years old. And yeah, we are now have more than 500 members across 20 provinces in Indonesia. And our members, some media and creative workers that we identify from 16 sub-sectors, such as media and press, digital application and technology, also designer, film and video animator workers, photography, vocal art and music, and others. Uh, so it is very various worker that we organize. And of course, we organize actually from the big industry. Indonesia media and creative industry is a substantial sector in Indonesia, employing over 21 million workers in Indonesia. Mm. So as a labor union, of course, we have a lot of work to do organizing them. Right, mm-hmm. right. Um, I actually did a little bit research on freelance uh, unions or freelancer unions, but all the information that all the information that I got usually is in in English came from the US or you know other places, and uh, even in the US, the mm. freelance unions it's it's a new thing, you know. Mm-hmm. One of the biggest one in the unions was formed in nineteen nineties, nineteen ninety five. But you know, there are a couple of new unions that were established a few years ago in two thousand nineteen, two thousand twenty. So you know, one of the one of the things that I that I realized that I recognize from doing the research is that, as you know, as Kevin said, a union like this is really unique it's a union in it's in its own way you know in some context you know because the laws don't recognize the the the, the collective bargaining rights and you know sometimes they face with the prosecutions or the, the government's mm-hmm. trying to say that oh they're collusion or this is antitrust practice right so i maybe you could tell maybe, maybe you could tell us a little bit more about what it means to be union in in this context what what can you do or what what can't you do that is 
uh, when we think about uni. And so there are things that maybe union do, right? But you cannot do. Mm-hmm. Well, actually, organizing a freelancer is a challenging, <laughs> is a challenging area that we, and then we take when we establish the union. Organizing for us means not only to make our voice bigger because we organize as a collective. Of course, we have a goal when we organizing, including freelance. Well, Syndicacy set uh, the goal. Uh, well, actually, we set like four goals in our constitutions. Like, of course, about the working class. We want the realization of independent, dignified, and sovereign working class. And this is very important for us to raising awareness about the uh, realization of the working class. And then establishment of just inclusive and human working environment, especially in the media and creative industry when we walk in. And the development, and of course, uh, we work now in the capitalistic industries. So we try to development of, uh, we try to develop of non-capitalist counterculture initiative that are managed collectively. Of course, asset managed collectively is a part of the main activity that we do. And also, we want to expand the strategic role of media and creative industry worker in advancing democracy because we bring democracy in our name. And of course, we also join the civil movement in Indonesia as a working class movement. And we want to advancing uh, to advance the democracy alongside other civil movements. Yeah, let, let, I think let's talk about all of these issues. But I, I I do also want to go back to the basics a little mm-hmm. bit. Uh, you know, you're talking about the challenging challenges of organizing freelance mm-hmm. workers. Can you paint for our listeners just a picture of what it feels like, what it looks like to to work as a freelancer? I assume someone, let's say, in the media industry, you get commissioned or you pitch idea or you get commissioned to do a writing project or it could be a multimedia project and you get paid on the basis of that project, right? And otherwise you don't have any mm-hmm. job security or you don't have any mm-hmm. uh, other kind of social insurance or so other social benefits or protection. How do you organize people who are in such a precarious conditions? First, identifying workers as entrepreneurs come from deception of employment relationship and the various of employment relationship status obstacle the identification of worker as working class. And the specific conditions such as independent workers lead to different understanding of the working class. So uh, like Kevin said, uh, the freelancer sometimes they got project and they they work as an independent worker, so they not understand as a working class. What is the working class? So, of course, our uh, barriers to organize this kind of status of workers. First, identification of not working class. We have to work more, of course, on raising awareness of the working class condition 
and identifying themselves as a working class. And additionally, most of media and credit industry workers are ununionized. So freelancer in Indonesia, it's hard for them to join the union. And maybe syndicacy sometimes is considered as their first union. So mm. it means that we have to work from basic right. to acknowledge what the union is and what we're going to do when we join the union. And most of them are freelancers because freelance in Indonesia has no specific union in the workplace because they're not work with fixed workplace, right? So right. it's right. kind of characteristic that we find it challenging to right. organize. I, you talked about um, challenges in terms of you know young young freelance or mm-hmm. creative workers not not seeing themselves as part of the working class or worker mm-hmm. uh, so i wonder if you can share what kind of strategies that syndicacy has has been using to you know to encourage more people or you know more freelancers especially in the creative and media industry to to join syndicacy and you know, mm-hmm. given that you know, from what you explain about about your goals, about your f- four goals that you know seem to me are pretty kind of abstract and kind of big as a mission. So how do you, yeah, how do you convince them to to see the the, the immediate benefits of joining Sinikasi? Well, firstly, we our strategic uh, strategies came from our decision to make syndicacy as a union uh, of non-workplace union. And this is actually our strategies because with this strategies, we have we can organize workers across workplace since freelance are constantly changing, they changing the employer, right? So they are have no fixed workplace. So this non-workplace union is kind of strategy to to make them has union. So, and we also observe that freelance is a prevalent trend among young workers, including those who are entering the job market for the first time. So, this trend actually not only in the choice of young workers to engage in freelance work, but also reflect that this flexible nature of employment relationship in the current labor market where hiring and firing are relatively easy. So as a result, we encounter more job opportunities in the form of uh, freelance positions. So to effectively organize young workers, we adapt a young-oriented approach that utilize social media as a campaigning and organizing tool. Well, this is, I think, our main strategies also to to attract more uh, freelance to join the union. Well, we leverage social media platform to create content addressing the employment issue faced by young workers. Uh, additionally, we organize events and activities that resonate with the preference of young workers, such as music, 
art and other related uh, activities and we have moved away from using traditional union jargon symbol and specific colors of the traditional union so we offering a fresh and you know Active uh, approach uh, to worker collective action. So for the young workers, this is not not the traditional union. We offering, of course, the fresh approach for the workers to join the union. And we also uh, organize uh, independent worker and freelancer. We kind of choose the strategy to strengthen their bargaining position with advocation tools such as freelancer contract guideline and also we make how to advocate advocate your right and so on so they feel the benefit to join uh, the union when they are a freelancer because maybe you work alone but don't struggle alone too <laughs> Yeah, it's this is super important. I I am also um quite curious about when you you do outreach when you reach out to um these very young mm-hmm. workers and who, as you said, uh, a lot of them don't really know anything about union or maybe even resistant to join a union. What do they say? Like when you approach them and ask them to organize and become part of the union, what are some of the the concerns? that they have or some of the reasons that they gave for not joining the union or for not wanting to join the union. You're listening to the Continent of Resistance. So I really appreciate the fact that the the the, the union has, you know, the 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 name of syndicacy um, mentioned democracy, right? And this is, I think, this is the trend. It's a global trend now, where you know, when the economy has shifted and and changed the, the employment relationships, a lot of a lot of people in the workforce are facing this precariousness, and you know, they they are excluded from from the narrow traditional purview of, of industrial relation framework right so they are excluded by the law they are not protected by the by by the labor rights or labor laws so Indeed. yeah so so in a lot of places when when they're organizing in the same way you know as as syndicacy to build a collective that is not that is a union but it, it's a unique union in its own way mm-hmm. you know there is a question about who who do you who do you bargain with, right? Which is not a workplace employers anymore, and but it's uh, it's also a way to kind of uh, flex the muscle uh, to build a, a better democracy too, right? It's not mm-hmm. only um, uh, not only democracy in in the political sense, but in economic sense, where mm-hmm. uh, we kind of ignore in the past. And I wonder if you can talk about examples of. Uh, bargaining of collective bargaining that syndicacy has led mm-hmm. with the members. So, who do you bargain with? Are you only bargaining with the government to change laws, or are there examples of you know members getting together and 
and and bargain for some standardizations or any changes in the practice in a particular sector or with particular big employer, for example? Mm-hmm. Well, we begin to whoever possible to make the working condition uh, better. This is, of course, our strategies. Uh, we want to negotiate with the government, manpower ministry, to include the mental health as as each disease, and we win because. And then, government acknowledges that mental health is the part of the disease that come from the workplace or the working condition. This is kind of very, very, you know, our little winning is very important for us because, and then we have our confidence to gain more. Uh, I think that when we have a little winning and then it's grow our confidence to negotiate <clears throat> of to our conditions. And we also begin with the companies hiring our members as freelancers. We sign the MOU with the media company or media outlet in Indonesia that hiring freelancer to uh, register their freelancer in the social security in Indonesia. And we kind of feel that change of the strengthening the bargaining position of the freelancer can start from the little step on the bargaining from the companies and then bargaining with uh, other stakeholders and our future goal is to negotiate with business association after the companies and then the business association and the near future target is the film association to cut the working hours. We have advocate to cut the working hours from 20 hours to 14 hours for uh, freelance in film industry because film workers work in a, you know, long working hours and they get accidents sometimes because they have to work in the working hours and in the long working hours. So we advocate to cut the working hour until 14. Of course, it's not eight working hours like other workers, but 14 working hours is still as considered as the short working hour for film industry and it is still debatable for them. (laughs) But we try to make a little change for them from the specific right like working hours. And we believe that by pinning with this business association will be more efficient and impactful uh, than we only work in with specific companies because this collective action need to be more and more have a beneficial for the workers that can make a big impact if we can make a big step. Yeah, I think it must be pretty shocking for those of us who are not working in the industry to learn that the mm-hmm. demand is cut from 20 hours per day 
to 40 hours yeah <laughs> the yeah you know 20 hours a day that that's just that's just crazy um, yes that's so insane because that, there's yeah. a lot of accident you know because of the long working hours and and then when we when they uh, come come home they get a motorcycle accident because they sleep <laughs> when they drive the motorcycle it's common in the industry so it's need to be changed yeah can, can you also help us understand the 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 landscape of of indonesian labor movement a little bit specifically the the relationship between sindikasi and the rest of the union movement do you have what kind of relationships do you have or connections with with other unions and federations where do you see yourself in this kind of the the union landscape well it is a huge question <laughs> and we have no capacity to give you pres- precise description of the labor movement in indonesia actually however one of our core principle in the solidarity of working class and social movement is the solidarity you know uh, this is a core principle so we support other social movement especially in the issue that highly related to us like informal workers such as domestic workers and gender issues and we collaborate in open coalition to advocate or campaign these specific issues with other union or even federation or confederation we always collaborate with them and our labor union advocate the current condition of workers who have underground transformation due to the presence of technology we acknowledge that informalization is underway and this condition is still unrecognized and protected by in the current regulation so we we want to this issue is also bring up in this in the bigger campaign with other coalition so we cannot stand that this is this issue is only ours this issue must be shared with other uh, union because you know informalization is underway and and this not only happen for the freelancer but also for the permanent worker or contract based worker in indonesia this happened to everyone actually so we share on the same issues and when we have the solidarity and collab in the advocation and campaign I think that we can make uh, the change faster and also more effectively. Right, right. And, you know, we also learned that the syndicacy takes issues around gender and LGBTQ issues pretty seriously. Mm-hmm. Can you first tell us about what are some of the issues around gender and LGBTQ issues that you see among the members? And how does your union address those issues? Well, uh, gender equality and LGBT issues continue to be significant challenge for union to address in Indonesia because this is 
sensitive issues in Indonesia. You know that Indonesia being LGBT movement, right? So women workers and LGBT individual face discrimination, violence, and sexual harassment in the workplace. This is kind of common issues that we face every day. Women workers experience lower wages, encounter significant challenge in becoming leaders, while LGBT workers struggle to find formal sector employment due to their gender expression. Most of the LGBT workers work in informal sectors that not identified by a government. They face pressure and become victim of violence and harassment. It's kind of common in Indonesia. So as a labor union in Indonesia, we strive to create safe space for women and LGBT individuals. We have implemented organizational tools such as SOPs for anti-violence and anti-sexual harassment, the code of ethic and integrity pact. We also support women leaders in the union. This kind of strategy for us to make the women workers and LGBT also join the union because they have big challenge actually in Indonesia. Not only they have as a worker, but as a woman and also LGBT, uh, they face specific challenge in Indonesia. And uh, so we advocate to eradication of workplace violence through this collaboration with other organizations and labor union. And we also advocate for the ratification of ILO Convention 119 on the protection against violence and harassment in the work of work. Uh, we also support an enactment of legislation on sexual violence in Indonesia. We hope that this step and also this kind of advocation help women and also LGBT to have more friendly working condition because it is important to have safe place in organization or in the workplace to you know when we talk about to advocate the better condition we cannot uh you know we cannot not talk about women and LGBTs workers also right I think this is going to be my last question. So after having involved for so many years in in organizing in your work, so what what are some of the the biggest lessons that you learn that you have learned that you you want to share with us? Well, the most fundamental lesson I have learned is that the importance of awareness and identification as working class individual as well as solidarity among the working class in organizing workers. Currently, workers in Indonesia are facing the erasure of their worker status through informalization and various employment uh, relationships, like I mentioned before. These uh, various employment relationships blur their consciousness of self-identification as workers. This is very uh, fundamental for me 
because the awareness of the identification of the working class is the kind of you know the fundamental for the union so syndicate civil uh, of course continue to organize workers regardless of their employment status we specifically focus on organizing precarious workers who have emerged from the transformation of the work ecosystem and of course that we will also continue to strengthen bargaining position of precarious workers promote gender equality in the workplace and advocate for policies that create a fair working ecosystem as well as offering the advancing on capitalist counterculture and democracy because uh, this is kind of our goals in a union so what's the future plan i know you know obviously there are still a lot of workers in the media and creative industry in indonesia out there who are not part of any union so what for syndicacy and for yourself what are mm-hmm. some of your hopes and uh, plans in the in the immediate and medium future that you would like to see and that would like to do syndicacy actually we have friends in Jabodetabek is Jakarta Greater Area. Uh, we have Sindikasi Jabodetabek. We organize workers in Jakarta Greater Area. And then we want to establish Sindikasi Yogyakarta. It, it is a place, province in Indonesia. And we want to have brands there with the there with the syndicacy Yogyakarta executive committee and kind of that we want this spirit as a union we share with more and more worker especially for the precarious workers so we will focus on strengthen the bargaining position of precarious workers of course and we will still continue to promote gender equality in the workplace and and then we will focus on of course to collaborate more with the working class movement and civil movement in Indonesia to enhance our democracy and this is kind of on, not only when we when you want to change the working ecosystem you cannot you you must also change the system like economic system like political system is very related to it so we make our step kind of bigger and we we also uh, join and affiliate with international federation of journalists efj in the international area so we want more and more advocate our issues to the next the next level i think that we want not continue in our national area uh, for the advocation but we want to change in the bigger area also in the regional and also international issue because this is a kind of you know the same issue that we face right now 
informalization to the digital workers. And also we face many changing or transformation in the ecosystem and the working ecosystem uh, when we talk about the transformation of the te technology. So I think that we maybe share the same issue with other workers in the world. So syndicacy will continue to grow. And of course, I think that what we have now as a union must be bigger in the future. Thank you so much, Niaras. This is a really wonderful conversation. And thanks so much for sharing about your work and, and some of the challenges and and your future's hopes, plans. Mm -hmm. Thank you, Kevin and Graham, for having me. Thank you for joining us, Nora. Thank you. Bye-bye. Well, thank you so much. Hey, Kyung, I know you have been busy. Among many things you have been working on, one of the things you told me is you were part of the, this launch of a report, the Asian Employment Outlook Report. And one of the, the key recommendations of the report is this idea of formalization of informal employment. Can you talk about what this is and why this is important? Thanks for asking. Yeah, actually, I just want to, I want to, say that the RCN Employment Outlook report has done a good job of reviewing the extensive research on digital and platform work in the region and in the world, right? They mm. they conducted a literature review of challenges and situation of digital and platform work from elsewhere and then looked into policies, initiatives, and what's going on in ASEAN country, which is, mm. you know, <laughs> extensive, which which covers like 10 member states. So mm. it is challenging for for researchers to to do this research. And the report itself is pretty lengthy. It's mm. I think it's almost 200 pages. And there, there are good recommendations there, right? Like, you know, strengthening the social protection of digital platform workers right. or building... Or strengthening the the collective bargaining and voices of of these workers, mm. which you know are recommendation that I that I support. But in terms of informalization, I think I I think I have to go back to to the report conceptual framework, mm. which I think the report doesn't really look at or try to explain the relationship between informalization or mm. the platformization what we call platformization means you know when the platforms have become a major tools in i mean i'm talking about labor platforms here mm. and how how that affects the condition of work and the employment relations and you know the relationship between platformization and informality the the, the current status of how much you know informal work is dominated or predominant in the economy so that as a result you know because of that framework uh, i think the report kind of paints a simple too simplistic uh, linear um picture of transition right, right right because of the economy that you 
only see if informal and formal on both sides. Right. So how do you think we can transcend or go beyond this dichotomy? Because as you're saying, you know, this idea of kind of straightforward transition from uh, informal to formal, but that's that's not the case, obviously. what? How do we go beyond this conceptual dichotomy? Right. I think for the report itself, I think the report, the problem with this report is it actually separates quantitative and qualitative analysis from each other, while the qualitative analysis did a, a pretty good job to to understand the impacts of platformization. But I think I think one of the ways to transcend this is to to change the mindset. You know, we cannot see informal and formal workers dichotomy anymore. Mm-hmm. I think now we should uh come to a realization that the digital and non-digital realms are are really complementary. Right. They're mutually reinforcing each other, right? And to understand this relationship, we we have to see this as, you know, two two forms of work that are are interdependent. So mm-hmm. if we see these works, you know, either through the experiences of workers or through the, you know, the the ongoing economic transformation, then right. I think by doing this we will we will understand that there it, it is more like a spectrum, right? Mm. Rather than a, a dichotomy. And one of the things I want to say, I want to highlight is this report specifically calls for uh, formalizing the informal work, mm. which you know, which it means the work that is a result of platformization or digitalization. Right. right. They call for formalizing this work to to formal work, so mm. that's that's what it means. That's what it means when when I say uh, formalization. But they call for this through regulation alone, right? Mm. And I think that's that's also also problematic. Yeah. So so how what do you think? What do you see as the problematic aspect of just regulating it? What why is that a a, a problem? Or a, a problematic approach. Well, what I actually, yeah, that's a good question. I actually want to bring our attention to to a a, a recent pub- publications called Platformization and Precarity: A Pathway to Change, Alteration, and Transformation. If I if I remember it correctly, it's it is an edited volume by RDT Suri and Ursula Hughes. Mm. Well, in one of the chapters, which is a really good chapter and you know for for researchers who are working on these issues we are familiar with uh, work of Abigail Hans and Emma Summons from the Overseas Development Institute and they specifically in this in this chapter well talking about the con- a different context right mm. but i think their arguments really on point here and they they say that uh, the the regulation alone cannot uh, lead to formalizations because Specifically, when we talk about the global South context, right. uh, we often ignore a deeper structural change through a combination of regulations and social reforms because mm-hmm. we need to recognize the fact that labor labor courts, the fact that there is a refusal or a violation of labor laws or labor courts in this context, right? I'm talking about ASEAN where, mm-hmm. you know, labor laws are... A violation of labor laws is kind of widespread, and yeah. you know we we 
have been working on, you know, advocating for the the, the decent work here, even within the, the the formal economy or in 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 the in what we call work as we know it. But now we right, are right. dealing with a different kind of work. So I think my point here is to kind of uh, bring our attention to to non uh, regulatory kind of uh, work that we need to do in order to to understand the transition. Right, and by non regulatory sort of method, are, are you thinking about organizing? Are you thinking about other ways of putting pressure or right. and, and yeah. changing the? Well, there there are a couple of ways to think of that, and one is you know I'm talking about culture in particular. Mm-hmm. You know the culture of uh, non compliance to labor laws, disrespect of you know right to collective bargaining or freedom of associations right and the blatant kind of violations that are that is a result of you know refusal to to enforce the laws you know on the part of the government's officers right as well as you know all of this institutional weakness like you know the fact that the the labor court in in ASEAN or in many countries in ASEAN are a week in terms of enforcing the laws. Right, right, right. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I think that's the as you're highlighting. This is quite, quite a, a issue across uh, ASEAN, but you know, across a lot of countries where the the regulations are could be pretty good, but the enforcement is always the the, the problem. But then when when even the regulation is is not not up to date or not uh, good enough. Then the problems certainly persist, but but as you're saying, you know, even if you have more regulations, it does not automatically lead to 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 changes on on the ground. I am also wondering, you know, I I understand there are other say companies representative from companies from corporations. What what their responses to the recommendations? Right, it is yeah, it's really interesting because at the at the launch there. There were four discussions, right? Well, I'm one of the discussions coming from NGOs or academia, and the other are from you know other groups like governments, ILO, you know, and 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 company. There's a regional public affair and policy from Grab who attended, and well, it's really interesting because the the representative from Grab welcomed the recommendations and saying that you know they would love to work with ASEAN with ASEAN member states to strengthen social protections right. and inclusion of informal workers in into the decent framework right. but when i said that oh you know actually uh, ASEAN could take the eu directive on platform work as an inspiration which mean that you know that there should be a stronger or more robust regulation to protect in terms of providing legal protections right. of our workers. The the grab representative kind of refused that by saying mm. that ASEAN economy is particular. Well, especially the the fact that you know the informal economy is really large and we have a lot of informal workers. Mm. So ASEAN should not go into that direction, which Right. <laughs> really interesting. 
Yeah, I I feel like I have heard different version of this argument. Basically, saying, RCM you know, value. <laughs> yeah, RCM values, or that the economy is still not developed enough, or that the, the economy will suffer if we do this and that to better protect workers' rights. Uh, how do you counter this kind of argument? Well, it's it's really hard, you know. But I think I think if ASEAN is as you know as a regional block is really really intentional about protecting informal workers. And I think they should really look into initiatives of the EU. But I mean, in terms of countering the, the argument, I I would go right back into what I just said before about the, the framework of the report, mm-hmm. you know, how we often see this dichotomy of informal and formal work as separate. And the, and the trend or this persistent trend right now to see a uh, platform economy as a distinct mm-hmm. uh, economy in itself mm-hmm. i think this is mm-hmm. this is kind of it's it's kind of lead us into into thinking that th- there's some something exceptional or right, uh, particular right. about this but actually it's not yeah i think this goes back to some of the discussions that i remember having a few years ago you know whether the the sort of platform labor is uh, as something distinct uh, right. Or is a continuation, but maybe in a more uh, elaborate uh, or new form. But it's a, essentially a continuation of a trend that has been with us for for a long, long time. Um, so I, I guess right. it's it's. But I think it's it's useful to now see, you know, acknowledging there are distinct features, distinctive features, but also making sure to not to treat platform labor as completely new phenomenon that. That's disconnected to everything else. Right. Yeah. Is there any other takeaway you had from the launch of the report and meeting? Yeah. Right. But right. Uh, the launch itself is quite ceremonial, <laughs> if you like. And yeah, it's it's a big it's a good beginning of having discussion on at the at the regional level, I think. Yeah, yeah, no, and, and th- thank you for you know obviously speaking up at the meeting and and pushing for for more kind of progressive and and solutions to to you know some of the challenges with regard to platform workers, and yeah, and thanks for sharing your experience there. You're welcome. You have been listening to the Continent of Resistance podcast. You can download our latest episode on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. You can also visit our website at laborreview.org. See you until next time.